All right. Good morning. It's Saturday, the 31st of January, 2015. Pete, what, what numbers does that make it? Where are we? This is 171. And by the way, the 10th one we've done. The 10th. Holy cow. Time, time flies when you're having fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Man. And I see you're, you're all bundled up there. You got, you got your solder smoke uh, hat on and you've got, uh, you know, a coat and everything else. Is it cold in Southern California? Well, it's below 50 degrees in my garage. Oh, my. So that's, that's a little more than shirt sleeve weather. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> it, it's, it's cold in Northern Virginia this morning. It's, it's really cold. It's cold like it should be on the 31st of January, but I, I, I just, I'm getting to the point where I don't like it anymore. You know, I want to go back to the Caribbean. I want to go back to Samana. <laughs> oh man! But here we are, and it's it's as you say, solder smoke one seven one. We had some problems with the last one, I, and we got a comment saying that the um, the audio was a little bit noisy and overdriven. And I have to say, I think that's correct. But we had trouble. We we lost a portion of it last time. Had to re-record it, um, and so uh, we're going to try to do better today. But enough of that. What's on the bench, Pete? Oh, man, what's on the bench? Well, uh, a couple of things, uh, Bill, and, of course, I'm continuing to uh, work on the Arduino and the uh, displays. I, I've really been bitten by uh, the availability of some, some neat, neat displays, and uh, since our last discussion, uh, I not only have uh, implemented the Nokia uh, 5110, which is a black-and-white display, and that's only an 84 by 48, so... A little limited about what you can put uh, on on the display, and then I moved up to a actually physically smaller display, but it's a 128 by 128 color. So now you can add color and color elements. Uh, I've got uh, the frequency readout is in two different colors, so it's easy to see what's changing. Um, the uh, tune function when you go to tune, it flashes in red. Which is kind of kind of cool, and then it, the S meter is a lot better looking. As a matter of fact, I was able to implement it so uh, uh, the S meter up to S nine is one color, and then anything over S nine essentially changes color. So I'm sitting here amazed. <laughs> you, you know, know this, me, who doesn't know anything? You know, here I am. There's something to be said for adding color. It really yeah. is. It's like you know, black and white TV to color was a big step. Yep, and, and, absolutely. And, you know, when you when you show those displays, when we get the pictures and, and the YouTube videos showing the color display, I, it has an effect. I think it's affecting yep. me, even analog, discrete component me. I'm jumping a little bit ahead now, but I bought from China one of these $13 um, frequency counters that uh, Chuck Adams and the guys on QRP Tech have been talking about. And it's fantastic. And one of my favorite things about it is it's blue. Yeah. As you yeah. put it, it looks cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's a little side note, though. I um, I just kind of did the last thing on the uh, color display, and uh, and all of a sudden I got an error message. And the error message said something that uh, it hiccuped at some line, and I said, gee, why could that be? I only added one thing. And then I realized uh, there's there's about 30,000 or there's 30K of programming space on the Nano. I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. You filled up and the then, Nano. Yeah. The and, and that's what it was telling me. You're there, you know. So uh, I, the, the I nano's said, oh, hard, The Nano's hard disk is full. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now all those guys that were 
you know, hassling me and giving me a tough time early on about uh, doing a little uh, coding in the sense of doing a little more efficiently. Now I can see why. I mean, I figured I got a lot of space. Who cares? Okay, well, now, now you know, you want to do some things, and you're suddenly up at the top of the pole. But uh, I, I am just uh, really excited about the um, SI-5351. And as a matter of fact, uh, I wanted to share a little experiment uh, that I, uh, I did yesterday. And uh, this, this makes the case for maybe having a couple of Arduinos and a couple of... Uh, uh, a couple of boards. And I know, Bill, you recently built a, uh, a frequency generator, and you're going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, I have the SI5351 working on a, uh, on a bench receiver, <clears throat> and it just didn't sound right to me. And that's because the, uh, the BFO frequencies that I, that I put in there were ones that I thought were pretty close, but they weren't. So uh, I disconnected the, uh, the BFO clock output, and I took a, a second general purpose uh, signal generator that was uh, an UNO driving a uh, AD9850 and I start tuning the, the BFO and then I was able to accurately read what the upper and lower sideband BFO frequencies were. In other words, I, I could listen by ear and say, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so then I read the value <laughs> and then I go back to the software and said, okay, plug that value in. So I plug the values in and and the SI5351 is right on frequency. So especially we're using homebrew filters, having that second basic generator capability is really important. And I thought, hey, that, that's a pretty neat way to do it. Instead of sitting there trying to plug numbers in and say, well, that sounds better, that sounds worse. I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of going through the rain dance there to make that happen. But having the second generator as a set up as a frequency generator and then testing the BFO frequencies, you come up to uh, uh, ones that it, that it should be for upper and lower sideband. So uh, I, I think it's uh, well worth the while now. I, I should tell you, I bought this Uno off of Amazon. Amazon, you know, if you're going to do buy on Amazon, go through solder smoke. So, <laughs> do that for sure. If you buy that off of Amazon, it, it was ten bucks. Yeah. I bought an Uno for. I, you just recently bought one, didn't you? I bought one for. I bought one. I paid a lot more because I was really trying to pay attention to whether I was getting the real deal. Yeah. From yeah. Mario Bonzi and the boys in Italy. Yeah. And so yeah. I might have paid too much because it's weird when you look at the and you when you look at the Uno R three, you can see there's a lot of them out there that are kind of clones and fakes and yeah. knockoffs, yeah. but all of them have a phrase that's very kind of could be misleading or could be just subject to misinterpretation it says there's a line there it says original manufacturer in italy yeah <laughs> it's about, yeah it's about that. <laughs> yeah it could be that they're saying that it's from the original manufacturer in italy or they could be saying hey the original manufacturer was in italy but yeah. this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all marketing <laughs> it's all marketing but but you know the the fact, and I got it, and it worked uh, for for ten bucks, and uh, you know a board eight bucks. So uh, I mean uh, eighty ninety eight fifty. I think I paid about five dollars for. It. So twenty dollars, you can have an important critical piece of test equipment that allows you to do so many things. So I think that that's important on, as well. On, in the same vein, I just you know I mentioned this frequency counter that I bought. It's uh, the whole thing is about. I mean, I guess it's about. Four or five inches long, about an inch wide. So it's the, the numbers are big, and it it displays 
eight digits. So that takes you on on seventeen meters. You're displaying down to hertz, mm -hmm. right? You're showing all eight right. digits right. down to hertz. It it goes from point one megahertz all the way up to two point four gigahertz. Yeah. Not only that, it does IF offset, so you could you could set whatever the IF is, and so it'll it'll read your local oscillator. It'll read your local oscillator, but display the frequency. Right. And all of this is on one little board, like I said, four by one, shipped and and, and available for thirteen actually twelve dollars and eighty cents shipped from China with shipping. Yeah. I mean it's yeah. it's phenomenal. I got it's it's so phenomenal. I got an email this morning from a guy and he said, you know, he said, it almost made me cry, he said, because I can remember, he said, buying a similar piece of test gear for thousands of dollars, hundreds of dollars, he said, and, you know, much larger and everything else. And he, he was just saying, it's just, it's just phenomenal when you, when you look at, at the change brought about by, uh, by the microprocessors and and frankly about by the the, the manufacturing in China. I mean they they this and this thing is really high quality. You look at the back of this board. Oh, yeah, you showed me. It's yeah. impeccable. I mean and it's yeah. it's solid. It came wonderful. I mean it's amazing amazing capabilities we have. We're living in the golden age, Pete. Oh, absolutely. And and the beauty of, of that particular counter with the offset is Forget it as a piece of test equipment, retrofitting some QRP radios and oh. that sort of thing with a digital display. Because oh. you can put the offset in there and you're there. You yeah, know? No, it's, 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 it's really amazing. You know, the offset, though, this brings up a point. And you, you taught me something important here over the last few weeks. And I wanted to mention this to the listeners. When I had, uh, I, I had taken the, uh, when, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but I had taken one of my Arduino AD9850, the frequency generators and use it to kind of digitize a little superhead receiver. So for the first time, I'm listening to 17 meters with a digital readout, and I'm looking. And at this point, I'm only displaying the um, the VFO frequency. My IF is at five megahertz, so I'm looking at 23 dot you know one six something to get up to the high end of 17 meters. And what I'm noticing is we're on upper sideband. And I'm getting very close to the top of the band, and I'm seeing guys that I think are operating. And my 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 readout is showing twenty three one six seven. Okay, so if you subtract five, that's eighteen point one six seven. The band edge is at eighteen one point six eight. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, these guys are running upper side band, and they must be splattering over the band edge. I mentioned this to you, and you said no. And you were correct because what I was doing was was wrong. I was in my head. I was just saying, okay, I got a five megahertz IF, and I'm just subtracting five. But as you pointed out, you have to take a look at what the actual carrier oscillator or BFO frequency is, and right. it was sure enough five point one five point zero zero one five or five point zero zero two. So that's what was keeping our uh, our ham radio brothers. From violating FCC regulations, but I had I had forgot that that you that when you do the offset, you don't just just say oh well the IF's at five megahertz. You have to have to look at the actual BFO frequency or, or carrier oscillator frequency. And once I did that, all was right with the world. Yeah, yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, it's it's kind of interesting because 
by putting the uh, and and this is worth just talking about for thirty seconds. When you put the um, the local oscillator above the incoming frequency, such as you have, you're twenty three and you want to operate at eighteen. When when you do the down mix, that causes a sideband inversion. Yeah. So with the sideband inversion, typically you're going to have the the crystal that's above five megahertz or the frequency above five megahertz. Exactly produce upper sideband. That's right. So that's why you have to subtract out 5.002 or 1.5 or whatever it is. Sometimes I have to draw myself a little diagram. I draw the, yeah. the oscillator frequency, and then I have a little squiggly line showing the audio above it, and I see what happens when we do the subtraction or the addition, and so then I can see that. It, it, sometimes it's help, it helps you have to pull out a piece of paper to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you can get... You can get really wrapped up, and uh, you know a lot of these uh, kits with the uh, digital displays has a plus psi up, uh, offset, minus i up, uh, offset, and you got to make sure you get the right one. <laughs> oh, I know, <laughs> because you could be on the wrong frequency then. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to mention on this, you know, I, I I very frequently get comments about the 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 nice audio quality on my BitX17. People really love it. They say it, it sounds great, and I think. When I explain to them, they, they ask me if I'm running all kinds of EQ or any kind of fancy audio stuff. And I always tell them, no, as a matter of fact, I'm just running a D104 microphone and the entire audio chain in the BitX transceiver is one transistor. I, however, I said, I think that what really makes the difference is, uh, are two things. One, I, I worked a lot on the width and the shape of the, the crystal bandpass. I, I got out the ripple, I played around with the output and input impedances, and I, I set it at about 2.7 kilohertz. So, but then the other factor is something that you just mentioned, and that is the, 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 the critical importance of the placement of the carrier oscillator or the BFO. And, and, you know, sometimes you could do it theoretically, and you could say, okay, this is where I think it should go. But there's a certain element of doing it by ear. You have to listen to see if it, if it sounds right, and I, I, I have in Cyrus Smoke the book a, a story. When I first started building SSB transmitters, I didn't have a lot of test gear. So one day I was on the air with a guy from Sweden, SM4FQW, an old friend of mine, and we were on, we were talking on 17, and I said to him, "Look, I'm not sure if I have the carrier frequency placed properly. Listen and tell me when it sounds better." Now he's using a separate receiver and a transmitter. So I'm listening to him on my Drake 2B, and I reach in with a little screwdriver, and I go to the variable capacitor that tunes the carrier oscillator, and I turn it a little bit, and I say, is it better or worse? He says, better. <laughs> I turn it a little bit more. Is it better or worse? Better. It's a little bit more. No, no, it's worse. Back. Okay, so I did it. It was We were doing it by ear, but it was his ears on the receive side in Sweden, and uh, so there's there's an element of of kind of uh, you got to listen to it sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, I guess the way some of the guys do it is they uh, they take an audio voltmeter and they put it on the circuit and then they uh, put frequencies in there and then they they change the frequencies and they 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 look at that uh, and you can do it you know mathematically, but 
all in all, how does it sound on the other end? <laughs> you know, that's 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 the critical part. Well, one other thing I'm working on on the bench that I'm not really uh, going to talk a lot about, but uh, Paul Darlington, M0XPD, a uh, brilliant guy, is, is working on a few things, and I'm uh, participating with him on a project. As a matter of fact, if you look at Paul's website, Shack Nasties, first off, you'll, you'll get overwhelmed by so much really amazing things that he's doing so I'm, I'm that's kind of on the bench too and that's uh, in the early seed stage and I'm, I don't want to talk about the details but uh, there's some exciting things coming and uh, Paul by the way is going to be a guest speaker at FDIM so uh, there'll be more information about that uh, the, the four days in May at Dayton coming up so that's that's just around the corners that's another thing on the bench oh man well this this brings together a number of things that I wanted to talk about when I talked about what I what I have on the bench and and Paul is involved and so is the 809850 and <coughs> uh, and and well we already mentioned the the, the color factor but uh, one of the things that I mentioned I think last time we did the podcast was that I was planning on working on the uh, the filter on one of my bare bones superhead the bare bones superhead designed by Doug right, Moore. this right. was this was the one that had been built by Dale Parfit W4OP and I had kind of clumsily tried to broaden the filter. He has he has a five megahertz filter in there. This time I went back and I started playing around with the the, the crystal filter design software. I was looking at the, uh, the the parameters of the crystals that I was using. So in an effort to do more design than build, instead of just build and then futz around with it, I I went and, and sort of tried to do it the right way. And this gave me the the values for the caps. Because the caps that go to ground in a ladder filter really are what determine the, 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 the width of the band pass. So I wanted it fairly broad. I think I was shooting for about three KCs. I like really broad filters. And then, then you have to worry about the ripple, and the ripple is determined by the input and output impedances. I played around with that quite a bit. It was a bit difficult. I found it a lot more easy, a lot easier to do with the, uh, with the bit X. Um, Doug Dumas had, uh, 40673 dual gate MOSFETs at either end. And, I had a tough time getting, I got an estimate of what the impedance should be, and it, it came out okay. I, I still think there's probably more ripple in there than I would like, but what I discovered is that you really don't notice the ripple that much on a receiver. I mean, even if there's quite a bit of ripple in there, what you really notice, I mean, within limits, I mean, if there's really huge ripple in there, it's going to make it sound distorted. But what's really important is the width of the uh, the bandpass, and I got this thing as broad as I wanted, so it, it sounds it sounds real good. But then I started thinking I wanted to do a little bit more, and you know you've been pushing me into this digital era. Oh, oh. So I I, uh, I went and I, I I you know I I had already built an eighty ninety eight fifty DDS uh, BFO back last year I think I built one, and so I just took it and I <laughs> almost symbolically. I pulled out the capacitor from the variable crystal oscillator, and in the hole in the front panel that used to turn that variable cap, I put a little BNC connector. And then the BNC connector went to the 809850 DDS BFO, and I started uh, tuning around with it. And so I, I digitized the bare bones super hat. I, I, and I, not only that, I, I used it, I could listen to all kinds of, I listened to 40 meters, I listened to 30, I listened to 17, I got up and listened to 12 meters. It was great fun, so I, uh, I had, I had fun with that. The other thing I want to mention is over on my bench here, a, a couple of things I did is, um, 
you know, when I was tuning around on 17, I, I kind of realized that my, I have a, a woefully inadequate uh, frequency readout on the BIDX-17. The BIDX-17 runs with the variable crystal oscillator. And I, oh, I've been using this thing for about a year, and I never even really bothered to put a frequency chart on the front. So after you and I had been talking about the band edge up on the upper end of, of 17 and how I was kind of unaware of where it was, I went one day and I pulled out some graph paper. Again, your influence. You're big on graph paper, and you're right. Graph paper and a pencil, and I got my frequency counter. I calculated the, ex the exact uh, carrier oscillator frequency that I have on the BIDX-17, and then I measured at different points the the VFO the VXO frequency you know twenty three point you know what whatever I did the subtraction and then I I made myself a little chart so now I have like six points on the front of the thing but I it really looks goofy because I have this piece of graph paper with pencil lettering on it kind of just stuck onto the front of the rig and uh, but it was kind of fun because then I would I would talk to guys and I would say all right now listen I've got graph paper and pencil here and I'm going to tell you what I think the frequency is and you tell me what the readout on your icom 7000 triple z double super transceiver is and say okay and you know i gotta say painfully close <laughs> what when i, I saw it I, I almost felt like messing it up just to make these guys feel better <laughs> yeah when, when i first saw that bill i thought oh look a digital display <laughs> Yeah, from 1952. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, you know what you could do, though, and, and actually I've done this with the radio, is to uh, uh, scribe an arc on there, and then you can put numbers and have a nomograph, and uh, then that works out pretty good. I, I actually uh, calibrated the nomograph, so I have a frequency chart. I laminated it, so then you can, you know, it says, okay, it's at 20, so that's what frequency it is. So, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That, that works really well. well. That, I know, that's what they used to do in the old days. It's already kind of confusing because I have two crystals. So for each position on the dial, there's two numbers. You know, one oh, of them yeah. using crystal A, one of them using crystal B. <clears throat> and it's hard enough for me to, uh, to keep straight which number to look at. I think the nomograph would just sort of blow the fuses here, Pete. So. Or, or. Or, or another alternative, I know what you're thinking about, <laughs> or I could get with it digitally. Yeah, and that's go. what I'm going to talk about next, because I I don't know, I, I, I got interested in the Arduinos again, I was looking for something to do, you know, it's like, you know, there I was, I was kind of bored, the next thing you know, I reached for the digital stuff, and all oh, the rest, here I am. But anyway, I had, I had sort of a, 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 a kind of a critical mass of digital stuff kind of building up on the workbench. Uh, Paul, M0XPD, who you mentioned, and the, the folks at Kanga UK had a while back sent me the shield, the shield, you know, the board that sticks onto the top of an Arduino for an AD9850 or 9850? AD9850. 9850, yeah. Right, the 6-buck DDS generator. But they sent me the nice board, and I had assembled the board but then one thing or another, I didn't really use it that much. So that was there. And then I had, I looked around and I had a, a, a display, a 16 by 2 display. I had a whole bunch of the wires that you used, can use to connect the two. You can see it all started coming together. So last weekend I decided, okay, I'm going to build another one of these AD9850 um, DDSs. Now the first one had 
almost driven me insane because I, you know, I, we make fun, you know, Pete, we make fun of the guys who are digital constructors and then who try to build stuff in RF and they don't know how to do it. They, they, works they the other way. It works the other way. No, it did with me. It really did. I, you know, so, you know, payback. <laughs> yeah. It was payback time because when I built that first one, you know, I was trying to solder everything and all the connections are really close and I messed it up and, and I kept getting shorts and everything was so tight and packed in there. This time I used the Kanga UK uh, 809850 DDS shield and it was, I tell you what, it was a pleasure to do it. The other thing I did was instead of trying to solder everything, I used these little interconnector wires. They, some of them, yeah. have, some of them have male pins and some of them have female pins. Yep. And I just went through and I just, what you're really doing with that is you're trying to connect. I mean, the DDS and the AD and the Arduino are connected via the shield connection. So that's all done. Then the other thing that has to be done is that you have to take the, uh, the, the shield and connect it to three things. Uh, one, the rotary controller, two, the, the, the display, the 16 by 2 display, and three, the, the brightness control for the display. Now, in the previous project, I had these three things kind of independently floating around in the universe. And yeah. It was a yeah. mess. This time, I got smart. I got this idea from Paul because on his Shack Nasty site, he has a picture of one of these that he built and he put all three of these items on one piece of Vera board. And so I just followed his lead. I put the board, I put the display below the display in the little right. I have the, the brightness control in the center, right where the frequency is going to control going to go. I have the rotary encoder. I bought another Arduino uh, from off of uh, off of Amazon, and um, it came and it was it, well, real nice. I hooked the whole thing together. I wired it up real quick, and uh, it worked like a charm. Now, one thing I had to do w with the uh, Paul Paul's original configuration used a larger display. Um, what, what size display was he using? He was using like a sixteen six, by four. Sixteen by Six, four, and I only had the sixteen yeah. by two display. So I went back to the same set of software that I had used on the previous project, and that was um, just a um, let's see, um, it was a sixteen by two display, and um, that I. Um, I had to go back to Rich, the software from Rich, 87C, and his, his IF software. Um, so we used that, and um, uh, it, it all kind of came together. And I discovered something really cool. I, oh, I had to reconfigure the board a little bit, but because, well, the, the way the pinouts were set up on Paul's board, they were set up for the software that he was using. But he had really convenient jumpers in there. So I just removed the jumpers that he had, and it was very easy to reconfigure the interface between the 9850 and the Arduino. It went together really well. I loaded in Rich 87C software, but this time I loaded in the software that had the IF offset. Before, I had been using one that didn't have the IF offset option. Yeah, I, I remember that. Man, and this one, now it's really cool because I could set it up so it produces exactly the VXO frequency that I need, but it displays the actual frequency on 17 meters that I'm going to use. Yeah. So that was really cool. And here's one thing I discovered. You'll, you'll get a kick out of this. When I went in and was looking at, at Rich's software, he had it set up only for um, subtract. He had it set up so that you would add the carrier oscillator frequency and not subtract it. Subtract it. it. 
And for a second there, I figured, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? You know what I did? Negative sign. Yeah, minus sign. That's all you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> that high, high school algebra came through, yeah. man. I just put yeah. the negative sign in there and bing, it all fell into place. I mean, that's not a, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are rolling their eyes at this point, but for somebody who's a real software novice like me, it was kind of a breakthrough moment. Anyway, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's really cool. I have it sitting over there and I'm, I have a project in mind for it. There you go. I got a project go. in mind for it. But um, anyway, uh, we already talked about the blue display from China. And I, yeah. Cool. It's, it certainly looks a lot nicer than the graph paper and pencil, so I'm tempted. But Pete, oh, wait a second. I think maybe this is the time to do it. Make the transition here. Because the project I have in mind for that, that, that AD9850 VFO is a direct conversion receiver. Oh, and I know what? that you have, you, you have, <clears throat> You've been involved in a project. Tell us about this, Pete. What's going on yes. with your direct yes. version receiver? Yeah, just just to back up a bit, uh, I I guess I've been looking through a lot of the magazines, and and it just seems like nothing is really focused on someone just starting out with some basics. You know, it's this project. Uh, you you buy three hundred dollars worth of parts, and maybe it'll work. And um, Ben, our local ham here, KK Six FUT, myself said, you know. Why, why don't we come up with something that uh, it'll be a kind of like the Wes Hayward and uh, Doug DeMaul progressive receiver uh, type of thing. So we said, how can we end up with a single sideband transceiver but start off small? So the idea was, let's start with a direct conversion receiver and let's make it so that uh, it will facilitate the building, especially by people who would like to build something but don't have 40 years worth of experience. Or, you know, there may be experience, but have never really built a lot of homebrew equipment. So uh, the concept was, let's build something, and the first part one is called, uh, let's build something, a direct conversion receiver. And uh, it has just a few boards in it, and it's a subject of uh, QRP quarterly uh, January issue. They stopped calling it the winter edition, now it's the January issue. issue. And that's out in distribution now. And the uh, thing that's interesting, and I just found out this morning from you, uh, QRP Quarterly is going digital, and they're making that first edition available free <laughs> as a sample on their website. You know, and, uh, there are no coincidences, Pete. The radio gods. The radio gods have spoken. They want, yeah. they want this material to be in the hands of as many radio amateurs as possible. Yep. So um, we're going to, we're going to, if you go to the QRPARCI website, which you can Google, but we'll put the link up when we put this up on the podcast, uh, on, on, the, on the blog page. But go to it. That article's there. I, I, I went through it this morning. It's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, I, on my website, if you, go, if you look up N6QW on Google, you'll see the uh, link to my website, uh, www.jesystems. And then there's a link on the main page that says, go here for... Well, let's build something, and uh, we've uh, we've discovered a couple of things. First, of the article mentions about a, a sidebar that shows how to efficiently cut two four by six pieces of PC board, so that you end up all you, all the boards that you need for the first receiver project, part one. Well, the sidebar didn't get in there, so uh, there's there's a link on that that shows you how to do that. 
And then, uh, interestingly enough, there's uh, a little bit of errata that we've taken care of, and uh, one of that, uh, one of those, in, in shows how the uh, the receivers to be built with regard to the RF amplifier stage and bandpass filter, and, and it'll work the way it's shown in the magazine. But we're suggesting that you reverse those two because that follows what's going to be in the final configuration. And then uh, <clears throat> someone sent me an email and says, "I'd sure like to see your board." Uh, how you laid out the audio amplifier. He said, I can't quite see the detail in the art magazine article, so I, I took a picture and sent it to him, and he said, by the way, your board doesn't match the schematic. <laughs> I said, okay, so what's what's the problem there? And uh, the issue was uh, off the 12-volt uh, rail, it, it it's a 100 uh, microfarad electrolytic capacitor, and uh, the drawing says 100 nanofarad. It, it'll work, but it worked a lot better with 100 uh, microfarad. So there's a photo of the board in there. And, and that same link shows the two Arduino um, uh, displays, the Nokia and the color TFT. So that, that's in there. Now, the whole concept is what you build in part one will be utilized in part two when you build the full single sideband transceiver. And there's a schematic a block diagram it shows here's the boards you're building now and here's how they'll fit in the final scheme now we're going to shift gears a little bit here and i i'm i made this clear on the uh on the web page uh initially the let's build something is with an arduino uh, 90 and a 9850 combination and an lcd and uh, we're suggesting that you you shift uh for the single sideband transceiver to to the si5351 and the reason for that shift is uh, you're going to have to supply a BFO uh, signal for the single sideband transceiver. So if you stick with the 9850, you're going to have to build some hardware. And we're, we're going to include the, the hardware uh, diagrams and schematics of what you need to do for the, the BFO carrier oscillator in the sideband. But if you build, if you switch gears and take the 9850 out of there and put the SI5351 you're there. You, well, no, you've got and the, the, and so, so. I think it's a great mm -hmm. idea too, because that 9850 then can serve as a really useful piece of test gear. Because you've got. Well, I was talking about generator. before. Yeah. I use it all the time. I use that's what yeah. I use to, yeah. to, to yeah. check yeah. out nothing, the nothing wasted. crystal filters. Nothing, nothing wasted. wasted. Nothing wasted. Oh man, I, yeah. and I I love it. It's just, and I love the idea that you're taking as the first step the construction of a direct conversion receiver. Because absolutely. I mean, all right. Now we. This is where we have to get. If you don't mind me, I'm going to try to, to kind of just let people know the kind of the the aesthetic, the almost the spiritual reasons for them to build a direct conversion receiver. Excuse like, me if I start getting kind of messianic here, but look, um, there's something about a direct conversion receiver. They sound great, and and not only that because it's so simple, and and when you guys build this thing, you'll you'll understand what I'm saying. You feel really close to the ether, to the RF. You feel close to that radio signal because there's not a lot. There's, there's only one kind of conversion. You're going direct from RF to audio. Bing. RF to audio. One conversion. And so you, you feel close to the radio signal. It's, it, and not only that, it's very broad. Let's face it. That's one of the things that goes on. It's broad. So you hear a lot. But when you listen, there's this, there's a certain kind of sound quality to a direct conversion receiver that that can't be beat. I want to, if you don't mind, can I do a little bit? Sure. Of, I want to read a quote here because I was thinking about this and I pulled out 
my my own book. You know, you forget, you write your book, you forget what you put in there. But I put some yeah. really good. I'm amazed. I put some really good stuff in there, Pete. Yeah, and yeah. One of the I know. Here, I know. <laughs> all right. Now this is a quote from a guy that we mention all the time here. This is a quote from Farhan, from the designer of of the Bidex and the Minima, a, a homebrew hero. And this is I took this quote from one of his web pages, and I'll just start. Why build a receiver? Why do you want to build that? asked Harish, an old friend, when he spotted us struggling over the direct conversion receiver for 40 meters one evening. I didn't have an answer to this question, and considering the amount of work piled up this quarter, it appeared to be a sensible thing to ask. I think this question is answered by us all in different ways. My personal answer would be because we human beings are fundamentally tool builders. We have an opposable thumb that allows us to grip the soldering iron. Yeah! Oh, yeah. man. That's it. Truer words were never spoken. The other thing about building a receiver, now that was about a direct conversion receiver. I think Farhan is absolutely rough about that, but also about receivers in general. You know, we, we've been talking about with the with the mighty might the joy of oscillation and the kind of the feeling of satisfaction you get when you build something that actually produces rf and that's undeniable and we've gotten emails and videos and pictures from a lot of guys out there who built the michigan mighty might and experienced that uh that that happiness that comes from when you see or hear the signal from that little circuit that you built by the way those of you who have not yet completed the project you know Come on, we're expecting some results here. There's Get hot! You, Get on with it! You guys know who you are. Come on. Yeah. Especially if we sent you the crystals. You're kind of yeah. under under a moral obligation here. Get yep. with it. Come on. Come on. You could do it. But anyway, the same, now, we're, now we're talking about an even higher level of kind of radio ecstasy. And that comes when you listen to a receiver that you built yourself. This, Pete, by the way, this sensation is the origin for the solder smoke brand and name that's wow. where the word came from and i'll just read you a little bit um it says here um solder smoke came from the opening paragraph of my june 1998 qst article describing my bare bones superhead project so 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 june 1998 i write an article for qst describing the bare bones receiver project that i i'm talking about ad nauseum but to open that article i used a quote and the quote was was this the quote came from a guy named ian abbott i don't even have his call sign but he had posted a message to one of the internet mailing lists and then he was describing the 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 feeling that he got when he listened to a receiver that he built himself he said i listened to the magic that only comes from a radio that you built yourself. And I think he went on to describe how he built it, and it, and it was in a cloud of solder smoke. Yeah. So I listened to the magic that only comes from a radio that you built yourself. Uh, in that one sentence, radio enthusiast Ian Abbott nicely described the feeling that can arise in the midst of a room full of solder smoke and the reward that awaits those who build their own radio gear. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, absolutely dun. absolutely all right so lbs let's build something i mean yeah uh, and, and i just want to do um add, add a couple of uh 
additional piece of information. We had we had a uh, a chap in the Midwest uh, build one of these. Um, I forget his call, and and it's almost on the tip of my tongue. But the guy's name is Dean, and, and in his backyard, he lives in Indiana. Is this uh, shortwave religious broadcasting station? Oh God! <laughs> and he said, "Oh man," he said. You know, without an antenna, <laughs> I'm hearing that thing, and and there is a little. Probably heard of his teeth fillings. Yeah, yeah, there is a little problem with uh, with direct conversion receivers, and uh, they 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 can be overloaded by a 50 kilowatt <laughs> religious <laughs> broadcast station operating in in the uh, in the 40 meter band. So he, he was saying, you have any suggestions? And uh, it, yeah, yeah, that's one of the. But aside from that, there's some filtering you can do, but that that's kind of a tough one. And I mean, that's even a tough one for a, a, a you know a high end superhead. Uh, you get those guys, and they're in the 40 meter band, 50 kilowatts uh, down the street. That, that's going to be a bit of a problem. I, I did want to mention that I also included on the web page two sketches. The one sketch is for the 9850 uh, that. The article is designed around, this but is, I also this, this is the software, right? The software, software package right. yeah, for the Arduino, right? And I also took a first run at using the SI fifty three fifty one for the LVS. I, I think it works at compiled. I get the frequency display, and the, the beauty of the second sketch is when you go to the transceiver, all you have to do is um, there's some code lines that are nulled out. If you uh, Take them all off and then uh, put some different numbers in there. It'll be all set up to run the uh, the transceiver in the signal sideband mode. So we kind of did the hard work, and uh, you know, if people want to download that and kind of play with it in advance, that's available on the website. That download. I, you know, I, and, and and to tell people what what you've got to do once you get the uh, the eighty ninety eight fifty up and running, and you're producing the the needed RF. You, you've just got three other stages to build. One is a simple RF amplifier. The other is a, a mixer board. And the third is an audio amplifier. And you take those, you put them together, and you've got a receiver. And you'll be, you'll be listening to the 40-meter band, CW and sideband. And you'll be experiencing all the, all the joys that we've been, been talking about here. So uh, this is a great project. I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get with the LBS project here. I'm going to be uh, using that AD9850, thanks to Paul and Kanga, UK, and Dennis, uh, and yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be in the in the project, yeah, right. So by, um, by the way, there's a there's a little subtlety to uh, to one of the um, photographs that's on the website, and that's the audio amplifier, and and uh, I wanted to just take a second and talk about this because this goes back to the graph paper. What I typically do. Is I'll take the quarter-inch graph paper and I'll uh, I'll lay out the circuit in terms of uh, parts placement, and and see how you minimize crossovers and how you keep the leads really short. I mean that that audio amplifier is a high gain amplifier. I got to tell you, it's it's amazing. There's no ICs in it. It's all solid state devices, uh, bipolar transistors, two and thirty-nine oh four, thirty-nine oh six. It is high gain, and you gotta you gotta worry a little bit about just throwing things together, tack soldered, and you're going to have less than a desirable result. So I take the graph paper, then I take the piece of uh, copper PC board and replicate the quarter-inch squares. And on that photograph, you'll see the, the pencil marks where I drew the squares. Then you take the knee pads, and you follow just what's on the graph paper and glue them down and then solder up your circuit, and you're there. And I mean, 
it's a very efficient way to do this and don't bypass that step because two things one you'll you'll have a better better performing radio because uh, the layout is uh, is is conducive to uh, uh, maximum performance and at the same time it'll you know aesthetically look pretty nice so uh, you know you, your your gear can also play well but it can look nice you know so there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing so, wrong with looking nice Pete. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we should yeah. be clear about that here. The, yeah. uh, ugly is a it can be a virtue yeah. inside the box, but outside, you know, it's okay. Yeah, I remember that all the time when I wear my beret. <laughs> that beret, man. <laughs> that beret's, beret's going to get you in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, well, listen, so we're going to build that radio. What do we got to do next? What do we do? Uh, well, on? wait a minute. you got to talk about the SCD. The, the Shameless Commerce oh, man, Division. I, you know, yeah. I, I told my wife that you were reminding me about the SCD. You know, this is what's going to put our kids through college here. So <laughs> I really appreciate you mentioning that. Okay, here's the time. And we're, we're taking our lead from the, the car talk guys here uh, with the, uh, the their law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, uh, which we, by the way, also use. But uh, all right, the Shameless Commerce Division. What we're encouraging today is... Um, Everybody take a look at the the new book, Us and Them. It, if you like the, the travelogue from uh, the Solder Smoke podcast during those happy days when we were in the UK and Italy, this is a book that I think you'll like also because it just describes our, our life, our, 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 the, the non-radio portions of our, our life in Europe. Uh, and it's, a, it's available in just about every form that you can imagine. It's in Kindle, it's in uh, paper, it's in, uh, it's in i, iBooks and, and Nook and all that stuff. And, uh, you can, the link is on the, the soldersmokeblogspot.com page, soldersmoke.blogspot.com. You'll see it up in the upper left. Click on it. You'll figure out how to, how to get it. Also, we have, uh, a sale. Lulu, Lulu, our, our original, uh, printing company has a sale this weekend. 15% off everything. 15% off solder smoke, contra cross, us and them. So it's a good time to buy those books from Lulu, and they're uh, they're a great company and very easy to work with. And finally, what we mentioned before, I think the the best way you can help the Solder Smoke podcast <laughs> is by uh, buying whatever you buy from Amazon. Buy it uh, over uh, uh, buy buy it through our our page. And in the upper right hand corner of soldersmoke.blogspot.com, you'll see the Amazon uh, link. If you start there, cha-ching that Bezos guy sends us some money and it doesn't yeah. cost you anything. So it's like money for nothing. Yeah. You know, By the way, did you see their stock really did well the other day? Oh, man. Because they made a profit? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, and I just got a new iPhone 5, so I feel like I'm part of it. Yeah, yeah there you go. There yeah, you good, go. Good, good stuff. All right, enough of the shameless commerce division. Something else we need to talk about as we encourage people to go out there and build stuff, and that's power supplies. Oh. It seems mundane. It seems boring, but it's an essential ingredient to radio success. Take it away, Mr. Giuliano. Yes, and, and it's it's kind of interesting. Um, Bill and I frequently get uh, emails. Someone says, oh, geez, you know, I, I built the Mighty Might, and I'm having this problem, or I put this thing together, and I'm having this problem. And so we kind of have a checklist that we, that we go down. And, uh, you know, did you, did you solder it up right? You got the right parts, or there's shorts, uh, opens. And one of the items on the checklist is the power supply. And, and I can't stress this more than, you, you know, saying it hundreds and hundreds of times over and over again. Some of these wall warts are no good. <laughs> I mean, you know, guys will go get a wall wart. They'll, they'll plug it in and they'll say, well, I got a wall wart. And, uh, they may have noise on them. They, they, you know, they're bargain priced and they're not, 
they just don't make sense, especially if they're fixed voltage. So one of the things I think is very basic, and I, I bit the bullet about 30 years ago, is I built a variable DC supply. And uh, my supply will go anywhere from about uh, 3 volts up to about 15 volts, and it has uh, output of about uh, 2 amps. And uh, it is very, very useful to have that. I have a little dial on it and have it calibrated where the voltages are. And, and there's not a lot of components and not a lot of cost in doing this. But I also have uh, some built-in protection features. One of the things that I have is I have a fuse, internal fuse aside from on the primary of the power supply, is in the DC leg. So that if I start to draw more than about an amp and a half, that fuse blows. And, you know, that, that can protect a lot of equipment. So... There, there are a couple of basics uh, with regard to the supply. One, you should have a, a variable range supply somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 to 15 volts. You should have internal uh, protection, and there's some electronic circuits that will provide you uh, short circuit protection, current limiting protection. And uh, some of these are, are you can build yourself, and you can look on the Internet. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Bill, I was uh, when I talked about discussing this, I noticed Peter Parker's got a nice uh, supply in there, uh, and few, very few components that use an LM317, I think, K, which is a, a one-amp version of the variable supply. There are calculators in there that if you want to fix a level like at 13.8 volts, you can, or you can put a pot in there and make it uh, whatever voltage you want. So, this is a worthwhile investment and probably maybe one of the first things you should build before you build anything. So you have a good, solid, clean regulated supply. And, and sometimes putting a, uh, a, a two microfarad capacitor on the output is not enough filtering. Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, this one, one I have has got 10,000. And uh, so when I, when I plug that thing in, you're not going to get any noise from the power supply. And where this will show up, by the way, direct conversion receivers. Yep. They are very prone to picking up AC hum uh, out of your power supply. So if someone says, oh, that's terrible hum, well, it's your supply. Switch to batteries then and you'll see it go away. So that, that's the quick check. Uh, there are commercial supplies available for not a lot of money. Matter of fact, uh, I was looking at one the other day and you can do a Google search on these. Uh, matter of fact, Marlon P. Jones uh, company down in Florida has one. I think it's uh, $19. It has, uh, it's variable, but it's at fixed steps. So it's like three, four and a half volts, six, nine, 12 volts, two amps. That, that's perfect. You know, that's perfect. So you don't have to build anything. And it's got, you know, protect circuit protection in it. And uh, I think that's uh, that's probably a pretty good deal. By the way, while I mentioned Marlin P. Jones, um, they are also a good source of supply. You know those jumper wires that yeah. you were talking about? Yeah. They got the two kind. They got the kind, well, they got several kinds. They got one with a socket on one end and a socket on the other end, or a plug on one end and a socket on the other yeah, end. Yeah, that's what I was talking about before. Some of them plug. are male and some of them are female. Yeah, and it's, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I think you get 40 of them for a couple of bucks. And uh, that's a lot better than some of the other prices that that I've that I've paid for those. No, and it, and beats, uh, they it, beats, it beats trying to solder stuff to the pins, which I yeah it doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that's uh, desirable about that, they come in multi colors. 
So I, I have ones here all the same color, and you're saying, okay, <laughs> they're all black wires. Which one goes where? Whereas <laughs> if you have the multicolor, you say, okay, red is for, you know, the five volts, and green is for the 3.3. We're, we're, so we're moving forward here, Pete. It's yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, I can't stress enough having a good quality bench supply. And, Bill, I know you've been through this. Oh, and I know. You, I'll tell you, you my sad stories here. I mean, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, the very first transmitter that I built when I came back to ham radio 20 years ago, I built that uh, little VXO 6 water from the uh, ARRL's QRP Classics, a great little transmitter. But, you know, at 6 watts, it's, it's starting to pull a little bit of a current on key down. And I, when I built this thing, I, I, I hooked it up to a couple of 6-volt lantern batteries. It needed 12 volts. So I had a couple 6-volt lantern batteries, and I figured, ah, that'll do it. And I hooked it up, and I noticed that, well, I was, first of all, I was very pleased that the oscillator was working, but the power out seemed very low, and it seemed kind of distorted, and it all seemed weird. And I, I, I was smart enough to, to take my voltmeter and put it across the, the, the combined two batteries, and it was at 12 volts, and everything was fine, but when I put the key down, it dropped down to about 9 volts. So I just didn't have enough... I didn't have enough oomph. Yeah. So I was in Santo Domingo at the time, and I, I knew where the uh, the kind of the electronic uh, radio, the Santo Domingo equivalent of Radio Road, they actually had one. And I went down there, and I found these two little power supplies. They're 13.8-volt uh, supplies. One of them puts out 4 amps. The other one puts out 5 amps. And they they were probably built for for the CB radio era because one of them has... CB on the front cover. Oh yeah, it's silly. I mean, it's silly, but it it, it hurts hurts me. So I, I took a little piece of tape and I covered it up. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nothing there against you go. nothing yeah. against CB radio, but I just grew up. I grew up in an era where you didn't want to have that kind of stuff in your ham radio shack. So I'm, I'm yep. sure you guys understand. But yeah, hey, look, no, don't mean any offense to anybody. But so I got them here. They work quite well. I still use them. Those are the ones that I use to power to power the bit X seventeen. It's fine. But um, for the bench, I needed some other stuff. And when, and I have on the bench here, I have a, I don't really have as good a setup for power supplies as I should have, as you just mentioned. But I picked up a, uh, a really nice-looking uh, power supply at the Kempton Park Radio Rally in London. It wasn't working, but the case was really nice. The meter was nice. The control was nice. And it had all the connectors on it, what George Dobbs calls the socketry. The socketry was all there, right? So I wasn't going to have to drill a lot of holes. But I brought it home, and I was—I mentioned it, I think, on the blog or in one of the mailing lists. And Tony Fishpool, I think it was, said to me, look, this is how you can turn that thing into a useful current-limited supply. Tony current, is um, correctly big on current limited supply. Tony, by the way, has his own book, uh, you know, Homebrew Test Gear, and uh, I think it's available uh, on on Lulu or Amazon. I'll, I'll check. But And I think he has some circuits in there for power supplies. But I built this thing at his his recommendation, and it really is a lifesaver because you could test, you could set the, uh, the current limit at either um, uh, 2 amps, 100 milliamps, or, or 10 milliamps. So if you know if you're working on something and you know that it shouldn't be pulling more than 100 milliamps, you set it there. And if you've you've goofed and you've shorted something, or if you put a transistor or a diode in backwards, instead of burning the whole thing up 
it just shuts down. It takes the voltage way down, and it won't let you pull more than the stated value through the circuit. So you'll know something's wrong. It's got it's got a voltmeter on the front of it, and if when you hook something up, all of a sudden you see the volt go voltage go from 12 volts down to two, you know you've hit that current limit, and it's 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 limiting the current by reducing the voltage. So I I agree. That's a that's a real useful device. One more thing on power supplies. I might have mentioned this at a ham radio at a, at a ham fest a while many years ago. I picked up a little tiny transistorized DC <coughs> DC power supply from Lafayette Radio Electronics, and I really love this thing. It's only good up to about 200 milliamps, but what I really like about it is, and it's small. I mean, it's a, it's it's about I don't know six inches by four inches by three inches, but it you. You can, from the front panel, you can set whatever voltage you want, and then the meter reads voltage, and you throw the switch, and it reads how much current's being pulled. So I've used this for many projects. I destroyed one. I destroyed the meter because I was using it with a, um, a, a kind of a beacon transmitter, and the meter was flopping back and forth so violently that I eventually knocked the needle off the meter like an idiot. And so then I, I went through a long period where I tried to find a replacement meter. You heard me talking about it here on the podcast. Then finally I just said, well, let me just see if I can find a replacement power supply. I went out onto eBay, and there it was. So I have two of them now. One of them has a, a meter with a needle in it. The other one has just the meter with no needle. <laughs> but it's still, it's still very useful. But it's great yeah. to have a variety of supplies here. And you've and you got to be able to, it's got, as you said, it's got to be clean, it's, and it's got to be capable of producing the amount of current required by the circuit. Right. A absolutely. And, and the other thing, too, is um, you got to take a little care when you buy switchers. Uh, there's a lot of switching power supplies, and, and they're very little money, but some of them generate a lot of hash. And as a matter of fact, uh, taking out a step up, if you're going to power a 100-watt transceiver, uh, look carefully at some of these bargain uh, bargain price uh Units because they may not uh, do the job now. Uh, did you get a Samlex for your? I got. Dental? I followed your recommendation. And when yeah. I, when I when I built the 120 watt uh, CCI um, linear amplifier, you know, I, <laughs> it was kind. Of, I might have, might have mentioned this on the show. My first instinct was, oh, of course, I'll just homebrew uh, the power supply, and then I realized that I needed, you know, I needed about 13 volts at about 20 amps. Believe me, it's an eye opener when you start looking for components that'll 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 handle 20 yeah. amps at 13 volts. You're talking big, heavy iron, huge. I mean, that's a lot of yeah. current. So switching is the way to go. And I just didn't feel like homebrewing a switching supply. And then you gave me the recommendation. Yeah, I got a couple of those, and they they work really well. What's the name of the company? Samlex. Yeah, I got a Samlex SEC twelve thirty five M. It's rated at uh, thirty amps. I never really go up that high. I never use more than about fifteen amps on it. But it's beautiful. The M at the end is for meter. You get a metered option, and so I have one meter that shows me the the output voltage, and the other one monitors the output current. So as I speak into the uh, into the bit X, I see the current meter jumping around, and it's uh, it's very useful. It's a it's a neat little device. It's very small. It's never given me any trouble. It's it's great. It's a switching supply, 
but uh, it, it it doesn't produce any of the kind of noise or hash that you get from some of the cheaper right. models. So yeah, definitely. I, I if you guys are looking for a, a power supply, go for that one. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's other good ones too. It's just that I I haven't have two of those, and I said. You know, when something works, it works, and that's that's. Yeah, you know, the other thing I, got, I have to admit, you know, I try. Sometimes I, I, I kind of kid myself, and I'm say that I'm a, I'm a, a fundamentalist, extremist home brewer, but I don't like to build power supplies. I don't know about you. I get tired of building power supplies, especially I don't want to build a switching power supply. I mean, the way I look at it is, I, I, I didn't build the power that comes out of the plug, the 120 volts. I didn't build that power supply. I don't. If you buy a battery, you don't build the battery, you buy the battery. You know what I'm saying? So philosophically, yeah. I don't really feel guilty about using a store-bought appliance power supply. Right. It's just it's just the juice. Although, when I when I was building that first homebrew station the, uh, with, with the, 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 the VXO6 water that I mentioned and the bare-bones superhead, I had this desire to say that the station was completely homebrew. Yeah. So, I, I, on that one, I actually built the power supply. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Then you're, then I, I, you're pure. I even beat, I even built the side tone generator. Everything. Yeah, the whole there thing. There you go. Soup to nuts. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but, but by the way, just one postscript and I, and then I know you want to move on. Um, I, I built a, uh, I got a transceiver on the bench with the SI5351, the Nokia display. And, uh, I, um, I was intrigued by these uh, hybrid block amplifiers uh, that uh, just have an input and output in the ground, and, and you're there, and they produce about one watt, and uh, they have a very b wide bandwidth, you know, like from, uh, say, somewhere around 200 kilohertz to 400 megahertz. So it's kind of nice just to block, and I have uh, have that driving an IRF 510. And uh, the only problem is is the, the, the ones that operate on 12 volts uh, they're almost impossible to find. You can buy a new one for about 75 bucks, and uh, they just no longer made Motorola made them. But I found some 28 volt ones that I paid eight bucks for, and uh, I bought two of them. They were used, uh, but uh, you know, guaranteed. But where do you get? How do you get 28 volts with a 12 volt radio? So I bought a Meanwell. Uh, Meanwell makes this little DC to DC converter. So it'll take anywhere from 9 to 18 volts in and produce 24 volts at a half an amp. So, and this thing is 2 inches square by a quarter inch high. <laughs> so you could certainly embed that in a radio, and I got that thing working. And I'm just saying, man, this is cool. So don't overlook 28-volt uh, DC devices. Especially, I mean, if they're at 50 amps, forget it. But, I mean, something around a half an amp or so or 100 milliamps, you can buy these. And it was like... Eighteen dollars. I mean, it was not a lot. I, I I don't know how you'd build that thing two inches square by a quarter inch high, but meanwhile makes it and it's just working perfect. So uh, sometimes there's twenty four volt devices that we could build into our gear, but you're trying to operate it off a of thirteen point eight, and this will this will work all the way down to nine volts. So uh, yeah, you know, and your what you just mentioned just brought to mind something else. It it's useful to have on the bench multiple power supplies because sometimes. Yep. If you if you if you're troubleshooting something, especially if you're getting feedback and oscillation and those kind of heartaches that we discuss a lot here, it helps to be able to say, all right, I'm going to power the the amplifier stage off one supply, Separate. and I'm going to follow the previous. I'm going to fire up the previous <laughs> stages off a completely different supply. If your feedback problem disappears, then you've got a pretty good indication that the feedback's taking place through the supply. Yep. Similarly. 
I don't think people think of this as a piece of test gear, but I found that it's helpful to have on the bench just a 12-volt a gel cell battery, like at, at 7 amp hours. They're, they're not too big, but there you and if you keep that thing charged up, you've got it there, and so that's a source of real, pure, ripple-free DC power. DC power. Yeah. And so sometimes if you're, if you're hearing weird noises from your receiver and you've got a lot of hum and you're suspecting that it's somehow coming through the AC lines or something, you take that battery and you power it up off the battery and, and you can tell whether it's being caused by the circuit or the power supply. It's just useful. And, it, and also you could use that as your, your other supply for the scenario that I just mentioned, if you wanted to power like the uh, the input stages off one off the battery and then run the run the, the amplifier off the uh, higher current supply, right. important stuff, Pete. A lot of tribal knowledge out there. Yeah, get a good supply. Bottom line. Hey, we're and, talking. And Go ahead. I was just going to say uh, when you were talking about current limiting, uh, current limiting. The uh, other definition of that is. You only smoke a few of the parts, not all of the parts. <laughs> you let out the magic smoke. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but the other thing about that is, you know, when you're working on this stuff, you got to, you know, we always tell people reverse polarity protection. Yeah. You know. Cheap diode. Put a cheap diode across <clears throat> the input there so that if you do hook up the, the red to the black and the black to the red, as we all do, as you will do, You'll do it. You're tired. You're in a rush. And instead of having the whole thing go poof, you know, you just blow the Only fuse. Only some of it. <laughs> you, you, well, you blow the fuse of the power supply. You right, know, right, you know, right. You, anything else. It's an old trick. You know, moving on here, we got a few more minutes. A couple of things we uh, about um, publications. We all already mentioned uh, QRP Quarterly, and even though they've made the um, Let's Build Something edition available for free. We want to encourage people to join QRP ARCI and get QRP Quarterly. It's a magnificent publication. And uh, I've got to renew my subscription uh, also, but uh, I'm going to do that, and I advise you to do that. The other publication that we always talk about is Sprat. Yep. I mean, I love Sprat. The day that Sprat arrives in my mailbox is a happy day. And I have in my hand, Pete, the, the winter 2014-2015 edition. It's really good. The, the Sprat has gone from strength to strength. George Dobbs and the guys who put it together, you look at the front cover, it's just beautiful. It's got, talk about color, it's got color. I remember when it was black and white and kind of off a mimeograph machine. Now it's it's color, it's got the purple letters of Sprat, it's got color pictures of the Tenric transmitter and the TDA 20, 2003 Risworth build-a-thon project. Uh, every looks issue. like a mighty mic, doesn't it? it looks that, that, that transmitter looks like a mighty mic. It does. It's uh, got the heat Johnny, on Johnny Appel wrote that article. Really, SM7. really nice. 200 milliwatts, yeah. 7 meter, 7 megahertz Sandari. And then the, this one is from SM7UCZ. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Johnny Appel. Yeah, and he's got, he's got the, the key right on the front of it. Really, really yeah. cool, cool looking. You, you know what's all, go ahead. What's also in there is a, is a high voltage power supply. That uh, uses a, a transformer in there. So if you've got some vacuum tube stuff you want to operate off of 12 volts, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Parts. This, yeah, this is by Jesper Fogbang, OZ1XB, a high high voltage power supply for a portable valve TX using a DC to DC converter. There yeah. you go. Just what we we're talking about. Yeah, there it is. 
The thing that caught my eye on this, and this is a mystery, and we'll, because we have a we have a heavy uh, QRP component in our programming and our, our audience, this really caught my eye. It's an article by Dave Wells, M0CEM, uh, and the title is Heathkit HW8 Audio Filtering. Did they get a critical value wrong? After all these years, it says here, one thing that has always annoyed me with HW8s, this is the second one I have owned, is the audio filtering. When switching from wide to narrow, it is obvious that the filter center frequency changes and, and the gain increases too. This is really not what's wanted, especially when working weak signals with simple equipment. And I have noticed that too. I have the HW8, and one of the positions on the audio filtering just really seems to be not Me. quite like it. Yeah, yeah. And he goes through and he does a really interesting study and looks at the active audio filters using the ICs. He calculates the value and he thinks that the boys out there at Benton Harbor might have gotten it wrong. Could be. Scandalous. Yeah, could be. It's could a, be. And all these years, and it's amazing, yeah. and all the stuff that's been written about this, about the HW8, I mean, books have been written on the HW8. Could modifications we, could we have all missed this <laughs> yeah anyway take a look at sprat it's in a sprat 161 winter 2014 2015 i wanted to mention that one yeah, yeah speaking of the hw8 the qrp power the awr awrl publication yeah it's got a whole series of modifications for the hw8 improved stability and oh, a whole yeah. bunch of things so there's a and mike bryce for years was putting out the uh, uh hw8 a handbook or a mod yeah. book and, and a collection of, of articles and ideas. There's a whole kind of culture built around that little transceiver. I love it. I got an HW7 here, too. Wow. Like somebody sent it to me. Not not, not oh. quite as loved as the HW8. The <laughs> HW7 had some problems. The mixer. Yeah. 40673. Good old days. <laughs> <laughs> You're being kind. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I have here another publication that I want to mention. I love this thing, and I'm, I'm always sad that it doesn't get more attention. It's called Hot Iron. I mentioned this is the one that always gets me in trouble on the Washington uh, subway system because people think I'm reading porn at 7.30 Ooh, in the morning. Yeah, it's the title, Hot Iron, you know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. If you want to freak out the person sitting next to you on the train, you just sit there, plop down in the, in the seat, pull out something with big hot iron, you know, yeah, blazing across the front cover. But no, it's the Journal of the Constructors Club. I'm looking at the Winter 2014 edition. This is um, put out by um, by Tim. I gotta get his call sign. Oh man, where's his call sign? Hold on. Uh, Tim, G3PCJ, and uh, Tim has got. I mean, he's got this great publication that comes out uh, quarterly, and he's got he, he's got a whole line of kits available. And every one of these these publications has some interesting articles in here. Um, he's got here, Pete, you'll love this, a 600-watt linear uh, de designed by uh, Helgi Granberg. Oh, yeah. Of CCI Motorola fame, guy. Motorola fame, the Motorola yeah. guy. And, yeah. And this thing, it looks like a lot like um, the, the kind of amplifiers that we've been talking about, the CCI amplifiers, but this one is up at 600 watts. It needs a 40-volt supply with uh, 40-volt supply at 30 amps. And they use um, MOSFETs, 
It says here, uh, MRF 150s? Uh, uh, I'm sure you've got it in here somewhere. He refers to it as using Motorola's Wati MRF series of MOSFETs. And so, really kind of cool. I like that. And then he's got, he's got some very good kind of tribal knowledge stuff in here, too. He's got a great article on measuring RF power uh, and simple devices that you could use to come up with really accurate RF power measurement and, and an explanation of the formulas that are being used. He's also got, in this issue, uh, breadboarding valve projects. Peter, G-H-G-N-R, sent in pictures of how he's been um, breadboarding uh, tube projects. And uh, really looks great for those who are experienced with the dangers of high voltage. Otherwise, yeah. beware. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. hot iron. Let's see. And I know we, we wanted to talk a little bit about something you discovered about Elecraft. Yeah. I, I love this company. I mean, yeah. They, they, yeah. they are, it's a real ham radio company. Wayne and Eric are, are Fine business radio amateurs there, and they've got there's a niceness factor with Elecraft that 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 is undeniable. Yeah. But, but you discovered something about them being at the, at the, the top ranks of receiver yeah. ratings. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, well, first off, I'd like to recommend uh, that our, our listeners here take a look at uh, Sherwood Engineering. Uh, do a, an internet search for Sherwood Engineering. Rob Sherwood has for many years uh, sort of uh, independently evaluated uh, m most of the transceivers and radio receivers that are on the market today. I mean, he's got data on the R390A. For someone who has an R390A sitting in their basement, that's uh, that's the hernia special. Uh, you know, a lot of the Drake gear, the uh, current crop of transceivers. Um, he even has uh, performance data on the Hyberling. Now, there's a name you don't hear too often, the PT-800A. The Hyberling is a transceiver made in Germany, and I think it's over $20,000. But it's really sexy looking. It's blue color. It better be. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, he's he's gone through, and, and I think also importantly is... You you see all these numbers being touted. You know, it's got the, the MDS factor, and uh, it's got, uh, you know, harmonic distortion. What 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 do all these things mean? And there are several presentations that he's made. Uh, I think he's done it at Dayton and other places that kind of say, all right, if you want to know about this, this is really what it means. And uh, I think the thing that's significant, and is he's also ranked them and one of the things that uh, is always bothersome is when you look at like gas mileage you know the gas mileage is this and that that only occurs when the the, the sun is at a certain angle your, you know your mileage may vary and that sort of thing yeah your mileage may vary but he's trying to put it in perspective and what he wants to look at is uh, cl close order close order uh, uh, close order parameter like if you got two signals that are only two kilohertz away that really defines the difference between how good a radio is, and that's close order performance. And and he's got this uh, columnar data. It's called receiver test data. Look for that on the internet. And and he has the uh, various radios ranked. Now I think the thing that's really significant is the top ranking is mostly occupied by American-made transceivers. The top ranking, if you look at the top 10, you'll see uh, predominant in the list uh, 
the flex radios. Matter of fact, uh, the I guess he, today you would say the the best performance for, for the, uh, the the close order uh, parameter is is the flex 6700. Uh, below that is the Hyperlink. Uh, up until the 6700 came out, the Hyperlink was at the top of the list. And then right below that is the Alacraft KX3. <laughs> wow! This is a this is a radio that's you know you can buy it as a kit, bare bones, under a grand, and and you can buy the Hyperlink for twenty thousand. <laughs> you know, and it's just it's just the t above it in the list. But what? It, and then Tentec has a whole bunch of radios in there. Uh, some of the radios Tentec no longer makes, but the Orion Two. But you know, I was, uh, I was surprised about the high rating for the KX3 because I always thought of it as a yeah. kind of a QRP mountain topping radio. Yeah, I didn't realize that it had you, one of the best receivers in the world in there. Yeah, uh, and you can look at the parameters, and and you know, Sherwood just ha has taken the taken the the mystery out of it by saying. These are the parameters you want to look at. I mean, they've got the FTDX 5000, the 12000, the uh, 7800. I mean, these are 10 grand radios. So would you buy a 10 grand radio? And then, then people say, oh, well, that's only a 10-watt QRP radio, and it's really small. But uh, on the other hand, Alcraft, uh, I think, has answered the question by providing an auxiliary RF amplifier for that thing. It's a 100-watt radio. So, you know, for about... Two thousand bucks, you get this hundred watt radio. It's got the best, best receiver ever, and that's you know. And then you know the other thing I like about the KX3 that that I watch that there seems to be a real almost kind of a as we as we mentioned with the HW8, kind of a, a kind of a cult following to it, and people yeah. are building and making available accessories. I saw yeah. a nice stand that you can get <clears> for one, and, yeah. and stuff that you can use to take it to the field, and, and yeah. here's and everything else. So it, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, they they have all kind of uh, now I'm I'm just on the periphery looking at this, but what 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 started me on this is I got my QRP quarterly on the back page is a KX3. That's what I saw that too. <laughs> yeah, and I said, oh okay, let's let's look at this thing now. You know, on one hand, I, I love building radios, and and as a matter of fact, what started me building uh, using the four point nine five one one five two crystal filters. Was I looked at the schematic of a K2, and that's what the K2 uses. And I said, "Well, good enough for Ellicraft, <laughs> good enough for me." I, I and, too, and, I too have stolen from Ellicraft circuit diagrams. Yeah. One time when I was using the uh, the NE602 as a balanced modulator, somebody told me take a look at the circuit that they use in the K2. And I went in yeah. there, and it was brilliant. And I used it myself, so I've been there too. Yeah. So I mean. Here's some guys. Uh, they're, they're of course in Aptos, California, which is uh, about 400 miles from here, up in up in the north. But it's nice to see them. And uh, I think Flex is in Texas. And of course, I'm not sure where Tentec is now. They might have. I don't know. I guess they're still in Tennessee now that they've merged with uh, with Alpha. But it's nice to see that American manufacturers with the high end and better performance radios, especially on receive. And you know, you can. You can look at this two ways, but ultimately you're sitting in front of the box, and it's what you hear. <laughs> you know, you like your transmitted signal to be really good, but it's what you hear. And <laughs> and uh, the other side of that too is there are people that spend a ton of money. I I heard a guy on the air here not too long ago, Bill, that was living in a in, a, in an apartment and had an, an attic antenna, and he was saying that uh, I, I think he had one of the uh, 
one of the lower price, the Yesus might have been uh, FT2000, and I mean lower price, uh, 2000 as opposed to, uh, as opposed to 10,000. And he was saying, eh, not making many contacts. He said, so I went out and bought an ICOM 7800. So this was like a $10,000 radio. Yeah, he said, that ought to work. Yeah, that'll help. <laughs> yeah. And he said, it's not working any better. Well, it's the antenna. <laughs> you know, oh, you got to get a $40,000. Yeah, yeah, it's the antenna. So, I mean, you know, you've got a compromised antenna, a piece of wire laying up in the rafters, and, and you're not making a lot of contacts. But I think, ultimately, given a, you know, a good antenna, you want, and you're hooking an, uh, receivers up to that, you want to be able to hear the, uh, lots of signals. Now, if you're a CW operator and it's a contest weekend, uh, and it's a CW contest, man, <laughs> there, there isn't 200 hertz in there that you can find and you gotta have the best receiver ever. So, I mean, for, for casual operating too, uh, you get on some of these bands, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interference. So you want the best receiver. But I don't want to dig into that a little bit more, but I, but I was kind of impressed by Sherwood's data. And I've looked at that for a long time. You know, the, for the longest time, the Drake R4C was at the top of that list. And as a matter of fact, Sherwood had a little business that he was modifying, making modification kits. And, and it was like things like the audio amplifier stage was noisy. Well, and if you fix that, it became a better, re, you know, a better receiver. You got a 2B, you well, know. Well, that's you, what I was going to say. I was going to say, I think, I think, uh, I think Sherwood was just being kind. He didn't, he didn't include the 2B because he didn't want to make all the other receivers feel bad. That's why. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, I want to I want to dig a little more into that, but I think you know there's there's some really good commercial radios out there, and um, it, it's hard to match that performance. I, I'm not sure, but I think the KX3 is an SDR radio, and uh, and I think that there's some technology in there that uh, enables them to take advantage of the digital world to produce such a good receiver, and I, of course the Flex is an SDR radio as well, so. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you hear a lot of guys just making the transition towards SDR, and so uh, I, I think it's inevitable we're, we're going to ha all have SDR radios in the future, and and I think with a lot of the technology... Not me. Boost, no, no. Oh, oh wait a minute, no, wait a minute. Gonna, you're, the be, guy, you're the I'm guy, you're the guy... You're the last holdout. <laughs> you're the guy, well, wait a minute, you're the guy that's talking about building an IQ receiver, right? <laughs> Aren't you? No, I know, I know, but it, I'm going to hold on. <laughs> I'm going to have one half of the shack going to be digital, and the other half is going to be the last bastion of analog, hardware-defined, discrete component purism. Well, you had something up on your uh, up on the blog, and, and it's a guy. It's a BE. It's Rich, I think, is his name. Built that SDR radio with oh, the display man, on beautiful. the front. It got picked huh? up. It got picked up by Hackaday yesterday. They love it. Yeah, I mean. There's people that are doing, he's using a teensy board and a display. Oh, and a display. Using, yeah, he's using a soft rock, um, basic older soft rock, V62, and he's got this SDR transceiver. You don't need a computer for it. It's all there, and it's done with a, a microcontroller and a display board, and, a, and then there's an audio codec board. And you know, he sent me an email and said if I had gotten in on the Christmas special that they had, um, the company up in Oregon that sells these, they were selling the microcontroller and the audio codec board for $18. So all you do is add a display, and you're there. It's, it's, it's almost too much, Pete. Yeah. It's almost too much to resist. Yeah. Oh, man. Got, got there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just says that our hobby is moving 
very quickly, very, very rapidly, and uh, just amazing. I, I, I just want to add a little postscript to this. Uh, unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, our, our house was broken into and uh, we were robbed. So I, I, I must confess, the first place I looked, to see where there was damage was the ham shack. I said, did they take any of my ham gear? You did know? they take the soldering iron? Did they yeah, take the soldering yeah. iron? And I have a Collins KWM2 in here. Oh, God, did they get the Collins, you know? Everything was safe. The idiots, they didn't take the Collins. Yeah, they, uh, well, they didn't touch so it. They, they didn't touch it, so I said, oh, okay, now I better find out what what the real problem were but what was interesting is yesterday got an alarm system installed and this is talk about technology i i figured they're going to wire up the house there's no wires it's all wireless yeah. they got all the sensors on the doors and they're all wireless i i looked at the uh, the control panel it flopped out it's about the size of a 300 page book and in there they've got an rf transceiver uh they've got a they've got a uh I, I think it's not a microcontroller. I think it's a microprocessor. It's a Qualcomm. They've got all these things. You see all the... I was looking at the hardware and said, oh, wow. And then I immediately thought, why couldn't you set that up for another use? Like set up remote operation in your home. You know, you put a microphone into the thing, <laughs> hook that up. You know, here I am. You are a true fanatic, Julia. Yeah, you know... You know <laughs> Your house Taking gets robbed, and now you're you're already. You're, this is the Dilbert. This is the knack. This is yeah, like Dilbert's you know? mother taking him in, you know, to, yeah. to the doctor. Yeah. You gotta be, you know. Wow, that's what, fantastic. What can I do with this in ham radio? I said, oh, the RF transceiver all over the house. You know, it'll work. It'll work. It'll work. <laughs> I think we better wrap it up, Pete. We're getting carried away here. You bet. All right, hey, listen. Thanks for getting up early in the morning in the cold out there in California. You bet. Seven threes from the left coast. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well... We have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi.